0: Thank you for listening to the Sermon Podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Christmas isn't really about snow and lights and chimneys and presents. It's not about malls and movies and bells and sleighs. It's not about cards and carols and candy and cheer. Christmas is about a king, a king who became a baby and a baby who became a savior. Christmas is about a light that shatters the darkness and begins a new day. Christmas is about a gift, not a toy wrapped in paper, but a savior swaddled in a manger. Christmas is about a home, the savior leaving his so we could have one forever. Christmas is about the creator who entered into creation and shared in our humanity but never our depravity. Christmas is about a cross, because there's no heaven without Calvary and no Calvary without Bethlehem. Christmas is about Jesus. He's the reason for the season and every season and every day, hour, and moment. Christmas is about you. Because while it's true that Christ came into the world for you, don't forget that you came into the world for Christ.
1: Are you thankful for Christmas? Yeah, glad to be here this morning. Uh, It is typical this time of year uh, for us, uh, especially uh, in ministry, to take a few moments uh, as we're preparing and think through, uh, search the entirety of scripture for a passage that hasn't been taught uh, or to find some new angle. Uh, You'll hear a lot of messages probably out there about uh, what the donkey was thinking or what, uh, you know, the the manager was thinking of the hotel that Mary was supposed to stay at or any of those kinds of things, trying to find some way to stir up fresh thoughts at Christmas. But another thing that you'll typically hear are folks trying to manage the expectations. There are some for whom Christmas is not a joy, Um, and we spend a lot of time working through for the sake of those that are hurting those faulty emotions or the the sense of being overwhelmed. But the result is, uh, it is possible actually to forget the passages that build on the central theme. It is possible for us to actually not dive into this mound of truth that gives us joy at Christmas. And so what we're going to do this year, what our hope is, is that we're just going to lean into those not only famous passages, but lean into the emotion that comes from knowing that the God of the universe loved us so much that he sent his son, born as a baby, but born to die. So if we put our faith in him, his death, burial, and resurrection, we would have eternal life. And the joy of that life should just pervade us. It should soak us uh, this season in a new sense of joy and wonder and anticipation. It should spill out to the people that are around us. And... That's the idea as we go into this series. Uh, Why is Christmas so special? We wanna lean into that. I believe that Christmas is meant to be special. Uh, One of the passages uh, outside of the Gospel of Luke or Gospel of Matthew that is brought up quite a bit at this time of year and, and helps feed into this theme is Galatians chapter four, verses one through seven. Galatians four, one through seven. Paul is uh, highlighting why the Galatians ought to stay firm in their faith and remember that who they are in Christ was all handed to them. They don't have to uh, receive something at the very beginning and to work extra hard in order to make it true later. All the truth uh, is in Jesus Christ. That's received. Amen? Amen? Let's take a look at this passage. Let's stand and read it together. A Christmas passage found... In Paul's letter to the Galatians. Here he says this. Now I say that as long as an heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive an adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then God has made you an heir. Do you believe that's true? You may be seated. Here's our uh, premise this season, and that is that the warmth and the magic of Christmas is born out of the grand themes of the gospel. The warmth and the magic of Christmas is born out of the grand themes of the gospel. What you heard this morning from our choir, and I hope you appreciate the amount of work that goes into the few moments that you get to hear them, are these grand themes, uh, some of them uh, with new tunes attached to them, but some of them you have heard since you were young. These themes of the gospel that get brought up uh, in Jesus Christ during this time of year, those are the ones that we rejoice in. Uh, I actually heard uh, just a little while ago about something that was going on uh, in Kansas, and then I heard about it going on in these different areas, and if you take a look at water tables throughout the United States... I don't want to get off on a political discussion about uh, the world and all these things. Everyone starts getting triggered, okay, as soon as you bring these things up. But here is the truth. There are many places where people have established homes and are living lives. They've sunk wells, literally, into the ground. And they have built these lives. They have associations with their neighbors and all of these things, anticipating that a couple of things will always be there, and that is their drinking water. But as the water table shifts, as it shrinks, as different things impact that, there's whole cities, neighborhoods, locations where they either have to bring in the water or where there is in the foreseeable future no water that will be had for them. They may actually end up having to pack up and move. They built thinking that the only problems or concerns that they would have would be their neighbors or how they constructed their streets or whether or not there were businesses in the community. They are flourishing in that area based on something that was the overflow of a water table. That overflow that just kind of fed the entire community is what actually helped keep them going. I believe that in our culture right now. What has created the joy of Christmas is this high water table of a lot of believers sharing the truth about Jesus Christ and opening their homes and opening their hearts to other people. And the overflow of that creates this sense of magic that's in the community. But as that begins to shrink, as it begins to get impacted, there are whole community they're trying to manufacture for a season this joy that they built their, their lives on. They thought that that was just the American dream. Actually, the only true joy in life comes from a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. And that's the grand theme of the gospel that runs through Christmas. Christmas hope is planted at Easter. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul is trying to convince a group of people... Uh, who started well. They were listening to the gospel. They had heard it. And he says at the very beginning, even if an angel or somebody else comes to you with another gospel, don't listen to them. There's one gospel, Jesus Christ in him crucified. He died, was buried, rose again on the third day, and he was seen by others. He says, you can bank on this. You don't need anything more. And that Jesus that you have received will transform your life. You don't start by the grace of the gospel and then continue through works, he says. He's trying to convince them the entire time. You're creating through all of this energy actually a problem for your soul, not joy. You begin to work and work and work and think that you have to provide the joy. You have to provide all of the fruit of the Spirit. And he's trying to convince them that's not the case. It's all been received. And he comes down to this moment in Galatians chapter 4 and highlights for them. Here is this moment where God actually, at just the right time, provides the answer that you needed. You didn't know that you needed it, you didn't even know that you could possibly be an heir. It was provided for you in Jesus Christ, and he says, when the time came to completion, or in some of your translations, at the fullness of time, at just the right moment, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Christmas hope planted at Easter, What did he send that one to do? To redeem those under the law so we might receive the adoption of his sons. That redemption purchased by his blood. There's a story made famous by uh, Dickens. Uh, It's not his most famous Christmas story. Many of you would probably know that one. But uh, 1863, he wrote a story called The Christmas Tree. And in it, uh, an older man is sitting there with all of his family Uh, as older men do. I can say that now. I'm after 50, so (laughs) I can barely see my notes this morning. Uh, He begins to reflect on his life and all of these things. And it says this at the beginning of his story. um, They've all gathered together. They've gotten a Christmas tree. uh, And the habit back then uh, was to put that on the table and then build their Christmas meal out and around that, and some of the gifts would be in the center. So the Christmas tree was this centerpiece, They've decorated it um, with memorabilia and it says, being now at home again and alone, the only person in the house that's awake, my thoughts were drawn back by fascination which I don't care to resist to my own childhood. I began to consider uh, what we all remember best about the branches of the Christmas tree of our own young Christmas days by which we climbed into real life. And he begins to look at this Christmas tree that's decorated with all these memories from the past. And at the top of the Christmas tree, it's full and it is, uh, easy to decorate. All of the branches are there. It's, uh, really green. And as it works its way down, it is less so. And he uses this picture of a Christmas tree and its memories to reflect on his life. He goes to the top and he remembers little toys. Gifts. He remembers, in fact, this one toy, and I was thinking about a couple of people in our congregation in particular. He says it was painted with this horrible face. It was a ceramic doll that was used as an ornament. And he says, every single time my mom hung that on the tree, it would freak me out. (laughs) Here's this thing, standing there guarding whatever present that I was over. Here's a gift to you, but actually she knew I would stay away from that thing. Christmas tree ornaments, memories of uh, different meals, different people different relationships, different Christmas stories that had been told through the years. And as he worked his way through his younger years, uh, his teenage years, uh, his years when he was first married and now where he was and the branches get thinner and there's a little more space and there's some of the people that were part of the memories that are now missing and he gets down to the very bottom of the Christmas tree and he's reflecting on all of these stories and the gift that he's had of relationship because everything was right in his home. He says, now the tree is decorated with bright merriment, and the song and dance and cheerfulness is in the house, and they are welcome. Innocent and welcome be they ever held, he says, beneath the branches of the Christmas tree, which does not cast a gloomy shadow, but as it sinks into the ground, and he says, he's looking at this Christmas tree as if it's just sinking off of the table into another Christmas memory. As it sinks into the ground, I hear a whisper going through the leaves, this, In commemoration of the law of love and kindness, mercy and compassion, do this in remembrance of me. The sacrifice of a tree and another memory, all of those things he says are only possible at the very end because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's only festive because our hearts were set right and made right for each other. A benefit, Dickens could tell a story well, but a benefit that comes from Christ Historically, Christmas has been a time where our society has feasted on the hope that these grand themes promise. I have here a magazine. I picked it up from actually one of my grandparents, uh, 1951. I have no idea why they kept it. Uh, in, I'm gonna put this over here. I don't know if camera one can get a hold of that. But uh, in 1951, one of the things that you actually, uh, used to advertise mostly along with a Christmas story was uh, alcohol and weird events. (laughs) And so I was flipping through here just looking at what was important to our culture back then, 1951, has all of these old pictures uh, of what people were doing and of great masters paintings, but there was an editorial in here um, that starts at the very beginning by saying, uh, just recently, he says, a judge in Iowa upset uh, uh, the last will and testament because it required a definition of the fundamental principles of the Christian religion. The person receiving all of the benefits of that will had to understand the fundamentals of Christianity, and nobody in the room could agree on what those fundamentals were. He says it's not up to a judge to decide what the fundamentals of Christianity uh, is. He says that is up to God. And he says, we're at Christmas and he says, I think what happened in that will is happening in our society as a whole. This is life magazine advertising a whole lot of things that weren't life indeed. He says, as he goes through his entire uh, idea, he says, we need Christians to understand who their savior is, why he came and to continue to spread that cheer, that's what he says. He concludes with this sentence, the joy. That Christians find in loving God, family, neighbors, and mankind comes from the certainty that God loves all men and will be with us always, even to the end of the world. This is the season for taking fresh joy in that certainty, he says. And we need you to lead us in that worship. Life Magazine. Our nation is hoping that Christians at least will get it right. There is a sense that joy at Christmas in our culture is missing and they're trying to manufacture it, but we need to understand the joy is not missing if you have Christ and it's not missing in our homes. As faith dwindles or faith in God dwindles, so does the joy of Christmas. We need to cling to that true joy. So in Galatians four verses one through seven, we highlight what it is that we should be focused on at this season I just want us to take a look for this week and next at two themes. That that premise is the the big idea. I'm just going to take a few minutes to unpack this first piece. Reconciliation and relationships are grand themes that come out of the gospel. They give all of their power uh, to us at Christmas to be able to rightly relate to our family, our friends, and our neighbors. It says here that... uh, at one point, we were slaves, but that has been exchanged for sonship. It says we were in slaves under the elements of the world. If you heard uh, Pastor Matt preach just a short while ago, he talked about the experience that he had even with uh, adoption and the beautiful story that that led in his life, the illustration in his life of what it means to be loved by somebody in that way. It says, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons so that we would no longer be running from God and running from an inheritance, but running to him into relationship, experiencing an inheritance that is given to us freely. We didn't have to work for it, but that relationship comes by the free gift of Christ. That word reconciliation is very important. If you just look it up in an average dictionary, it'll give you two definitions uh, that actually are biblical. The first is the restoration of a relationship or the return to a face-to-face relationship. There are many stories at Christmas, and maybe you've told some around your table of relationship that you used to have or family members that used to be in right relationship to each other that somehow through some decision action or continued activity have fractured that relationship and it seems that there's no chance for repair. One of the grand themes of the gospel is reconciliation the return to a right relationship that starts with a relationship with God. When we realize how much he has forgiven in order to receive us, we begin to open our doors and open our hearts to those who have also fractured relationship with us. This is one of the stories that we will tell at Christmas. Some of you, even though you have been hurt in different relationships, will set an extra place at the table, hoping that that black sheep, that hard heart will return home for one meal. You begin to, to prepare yourself for a phone call or, or find some way to connect with an individual who, from whom you've been estranged. That is made possible this time of year. We open our hearts to that this time of year, not because we by nature want those things to happen, but because Jesus has showed us the way. It's the central theme of the gospel and it fills up Christmas. There's a story Told by George Aide, another Christmas story, 1903. Not Dickens, but similar. Uh, Here is a a man, and he didn't have very many hobbies, Uh, a man by the name of Waterby. In fact, it became a famous story. There's a lot of people that read it. It's a short one. Uh, Waterby is walking along with his wife, and as uh, they're there in the early days of December, they're walking by this little set of stores, and they go by a bookstore, and there in the front of the shelves is a complete works of Edgar Allan Poe. That doesn't seem very Christmassy to buy Edgar Allan Poe, but he was uh, a guy that, that said, I-, I love Edgar Allan Poe. There's nobody that transports me from here to there. Now, this is before he had a you know, cell phones, TV, or any other thing you could focus on. Edgar Allan Poe was wild and exciting. And he said, I, I, I have the, the $12 that I could spend on this complete works. Look how beautifully appointed it is. And his wife with a little gasp says, oh no, I, I don't think that we need that. You have so many books. And he begins to work through in his mind. He's like, well, why would she not want me to have these? I, he, she knows I don't have very many hobbies. I don't do very many things. And with not a little bit of irritation, he goes away and he is bothered by this idea. He's like, I give her as much money as she ever wants to shop. She's put, the kids are provided, all of these different things. What could possibly cause her to gasp and seem irritated? And he works himself up all the way until Christmas Eve is there celebrating. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy extra nice gifts for the kids. I'm not going to get her anything so she can see how hurt that I am. You know how it turns out. I mean, it's pretty evident, isn't it? Christmas morning, there it is, the complete works of Edgar Allan Poe sitting where his poached egg should be sitting. And with schoolgirl charm and giggliness, she says, I was so afraid that you were gonna buy this. I had already purchased it weeks before. Used all of my allowance on it. I hope that you are happy. To which he looks at her and he says, did they bring my gift yet? I told them to bring it straight up. And she says, oh no, don't tell me what it is till you get it. And he runs down and wakes the jeweler out of bed and buys whatever the most ridiculous thing was in his safe to make up for what he felt in his heart. It cost him a lot. A picture. Why is that story told? Why was it recorded? Why have many people told it over and over again since 1903? Because you want to know what? It actually tells a good picture of how you and I operate. We have this way of thinking, don't we? When something isn't going exactly the way that we think that it ought to, we start to construct in our mind a reason. We start to build out all of these problems and we begin to associate uh, those problems with truths and we begin to have a dialogue in our mind, either with that individual or with the, the situation and we have one way of looking at it and we're convinced that that's the way and almost... All the time. Our way of thinking leads to fracture. God's way leads to peace. How great would it be if at just the right time, somebody stepped into that jumble of poor thinking, that mess that we make of all of our relationships, the irritations that we bring like a big backpack into every single room as we are about ready to communicate with another individual. What if at just the right time, somebody were to insert themselves into the situation and say, here's what's going on. In the story that George A. told, it would save him a bundle of money. (laughs) But in our relationships, the cost is much higher. This is what scripture says. It says that when the time came to completion or quite literally at just the perfect time, when everything was right, God sent his son. Jesus came at the perfect time. All of the ingredients were perfectly combined for Jesus, not only to be provided as the answer, but for us to be ready to receive him. I told you we're leaning into all the Christmas traditions, so this has to be story time as well as truth, but I don't know what is uh, your Christmas tradition. We have quite a few in our family, but one of my favorites is cinnamon rolls on Christmas morning. Yeah? Anybody else? else? Anybody wanna start that tradition? Yeah. Yes, there we go. There's a few of them uh, that are right, but when, uh, when cinnamon rolls are done just right, and you know when they've been done right, or, okay? It's, it's not that you can hear the crack of uh, the Instapop, right? And that they're just thrown into the oven. Cinnamon rolls made at home, rolled out, prepared, let set for a while as that yeast causes them to rise. They get that kind of doughiness At just the right time, they have to be put into the oven. And now, um, one of my daughters has perfected a recipe. Everybody else is jealous. There's actually an ingredient that she puts in at just the last moment before they go into the oven that causes them to be better than Cinnabon. Yeah, I know. Some of you now have just turned off message and are prepared to go home and go get something to eat. But you have to wait until they have risen a certain amount. You put them in too quickly, and they're those thin, you know, hard hard-to-chew ones, and all you're biting those for is for the icing, okay? That's the only reason. They just carry the sugar and the icing. But if they're done right, man, it is a pillow of blessing and a uh, diabetic coma waiting to carry you into sweet memories. It has to be done at just the right time. It's not just the right ingredients and the right time, but there is when they are baking a sense of anticipation. Do you know that when Jesus Christ came, there had already been generations trying super hard to survive underneath the law? Trying to get it right. Knowing what the expectations of God were, but they could not quite get those things accomplished. Even though they were saved in every single generation by faith, still there were expectations that God had for Mankind and it did not seem like they could live up and the weight was overwhelming. In fact, there's years of silence before Jesus Christ comes where it seems like the world has just had a wet blanket placed over the top of it. They could not marshal any strength to be able to move forward and at just the right time with anticipation in their heart, we need somebody to set these things right. Jesus Christ comes in the form of a baby. He comes... To head to the cross for them at just the right time. The fullness of all the ingredients, all the promises of scripture being fulfilled in him, all the anticipation of a righteous one that would come, the life that he lived, the way that he did it, everything fulfilling scripture. He was perfect in every way, but there was also anticipation. There is a gift that we get at Christmas before any gifts are handed out, and that is the anticipation of the fruit of these relationships. That anticipation is born I would tell you from the gospel. God builds in not just our need, but this hunger for the relationship that he inspires. Jesus came in order that you might change your view and open your arms. He came at just the right time when you were hungry for it, but he came to inspire hope. There's a passage that goes along with this in uh, second Corinthians chapter five, verses 17 through 21. It says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is passed away. See, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's using this word over and over and over again so that you might be able to have that kind of drilled into your heart. A ministry of reconciliation. What is that? That is in Christ. God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, in light of that, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making this appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that a powerful truth? Jesus Christ sends us out as emissaries, as messengers of reconciliation. Christmas is special when reconciliation takes root. I just have a final thought for you. Uh, This truth has been one uh, that should carry the theme Uh, The reason, once again, that we set the extra plate, the reason that we open our arms, the reason that we make that troubling phone call is because Jesus Christ first uh, forgave us. Because we are rightly related to God, we can now go and be rightly related to each other. There's a transformation that happens, and it happens because, uh, and is displayed through our adoption. Just a few short years ago, eight years ago, in January. uh, They were celebrating the 70th year of Auschwitz being freed from the Nazis. Horrible time, there was a a man that was there. uh, When his name was announced, it caused uh, anger and irritation to ripple through the crowd. Now, he was a young man. He was actually uh, 20 years old when he is at this celebration Uh, But his last name was the one that caused all of the irritation. His last name was Hess. Reinhard Hess uh, was his name, but his grandfather was Rudolf Hess, the commandant of Auschwitz. He had come there not knowing at the beginning, just a few years before, he had no knowledge of what had happened or what his family history was. He'd been sheltered by his parents from all of those truths. Going online, as he was able to do, he discovered not only all of this horror, but he discovered his family tree and is wrecked by it. We did what? And he is going to this celebration, wanting to beg forgiveness of any survivors that were there. Anybody who had been at Auschwitz, he wanted to lay down in front of them and say, I had no knowledge, I have no understanding, none of this is right, please know, Those views are not carried on by the grandchildren. Very few people would receive him at first. And so he began to seek out one of the speakers, Eva Moses Kor. She was an Auschwitz survivor and her leading message was forgiveness. Only if we can forgive and lay down these things can we begin to move forward as a society. If we keep stirring up and hardening in our anger, we will create more rioting and irritation. We will create more bitterness in the culture rather than blessing. So he gave her an opportunity for forgiveness. He began to write her a letter. I don't wanna force myself on you, he says, but I just want you to know, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to make things right. And they began to correspond as she would speak kindly to him but speak plainly about the hardness. Every single one of her family members killed in those camps, her twin sister, being worked on by Joseph Mengele. She lost all of her family and that sister, all those memories in there, and now she's working at forgiveness. She told him about the horrors that she had experienced, but she said, but I still can have love for you. They stopped writing and began to actually speak together. He's forsaken by so many other people, even in his own family, that eventually uh, after having lost uh, all of his family members, he looked at Eva and he said, I have such a fondness for you. It's such a desire for our message to carry on. Would you adopt me? And she, Eva Kaur, adopted this man into her family, officially adopted him, so that she could put on display through that adoption what it looks like to forgive and extend love. When it says in Galatians chapter four that God has adopted us, we think of a cute little baby of an adoption of a hopeful parent that has empty arms and just wants to be able to extend their family. But it is more like the adoption of a Nazi by an Auschwitz survivor. God whom we have been offending and harming and running against has sent the answer to all of that forgiveness in his son. And he has adopted us, not a cute little baby, but something horrible that he has transformed. And he asks us in seasons like this to remember that transformation that has happened in our own life and to extend it to the people that are around us. Amen. Amen. And that's one of the things that makes Christmas so special. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us this season, uh, to put this theory, this, uh, premise to the test. Help us to consider in our own lives how it is that Jesus Christ transforms our experience. Uh, What it is that you are actually calling us to do, not just believe and not just to hang some tinsel or put up some lights, but to actually celebrate with friends, with neighbors, with people with whom we have been separated uh, because of a hardship, because of our own struggles, because of our own sin. There's a fracture in relationships. Father, we pray that in this season, you would first make sure that we are reconciled to you. If there are some here today who don't have a relationship with you, I pray that they would place their faith in Christ today. But then, Father, I pray that the profound truth of that reconciliation would lead fractured families to be whole. Help us not to be afraid of what others might experience at Christmas, but to rejoice in the potential that we can have joy this season because you make all things new. You've changed our relationship with you and you want us to grow in our relationship with those around because of the same forgiveness that we've experienced. Help us to lean into that, to rejoice in it. I pray that we'd be transformed uh, by the experience of it. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.